chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, he said. The chances of anything coming from Mars, according to the 1978 Jeff Wayne musical, are a million to one. But still, they But what if we go there? It's not out of the realms of possibility, and it's not in the too distant future if you believe President Trump. Now we must embrace the next frontier, America's manifest destiny in the stars. I am asking Congress to fully fund the Artemis program to ensure that the next man and the first woman on the moon will be American astronauts using this as a launching pad to ensure that America is the first nation to plant its flag on Mars. I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, we're going interstellar. I think within the next 50, 100 years, I think it's certainly feasible, at least. It's not science fiction anymore. We're not there yet. We're not, you know, launching people to Mars tomorrow. But it's absolutely not science fiction anymore. Chelsea Goad is a journalist for Space.com, and she's thinking far into the future. She's written a piece called How to Die on Mars. It's not a how-to in the traditional sense. Rather, it's an attempt to fill in a blank. How will we deal with this situation if and when it crops up? Chelsea talked to a bioengineer and a fashion designer who've combined to develop a multi-layered garment that would serve as a Mars burial shroud. She accompanied them to a testing spot atop a huge volcano in Hawaii where the terrain mimics the surface of the planet. In every culture on Earth, we have death rituals. And so it seems logical to think that humans living on Mars would also adopt some kind of death ritual. You know, people here don't just toss their dead randomly into graves. They have different practices and behaviors surrounding death. And then the second part of it is Mars is what's called aseptic. So, you know, as far as we know, there's no life on Mars. Um, There's no bacteria in the ground that's going to decompose a body if you put it in there. So if you toss a body out onto Mars or try to bury it, it's probably just going to mummify and get irradiated. And so obviously, I mean, there's nothing saying you couldn't do that, but it's, you know, however morbid this may sound, it's kind of a wasted opportunity. Um, And that's what these researchers are kind of looking into is not only what the ritual part of death on Mars might be like, but how to actually kind of harvest, uh, not to be weird, <laughs> to harvest kind of the, the natural resources of the human body so they don't go to waste just mummifying out on the surface of Mars. I mean, this is, it's sort of a solution to an issue that we don't really face yet, right? Like h- humans are not on Mars at the moment, but the fact that we are starting to fill in some of these more speculative blanks suggests these are issues that might actually crop up in our lifetimes. Oh, definitely. I mean, we're not that far off from landing humans on Mars or returning humans to the moon. And even if everything goes according to plan and nothing goes wrong and they land safe and sound, that's a dangerous place to live. We're not sure if people we send there, we're going to be able to bring them back. So sending people to Mars, you have to consider what are you going to do when they pass away? It was designed by a fashion design researcher. Uh, She's named Pia Interlandi. And she doesn't deal just with this project, but she deals in designing death garments in general. And so her and the researcher, JJ Hastings, kind of got together 
and Dr. Interlandi, she kind of thought of first what material it would have to be and then how many layers it would have to be. She wanted to make it beautiful, but she wanted it to be practical. And so the garment itself um, is a number of layers that are, uh, for practical purposes, very easy to put onto the body. So it's not some like stiff polyester uh, garment that you have to squeeze somebody into. They're relatively easy to put on a dead body. Um, and then they're also, you know, obviously she's a designer. They're, they're beautifully made. They're very aesthetically pleasing. Again, part of that ritual process. Um, but they're also all made of silk. And silk, you know, comes from silkworms and it is protein. And the reason that she chose that is because in the different methods that her and JJ Hastings are kind of looking at that could be used to kind of decompose or kind of um, dissolve a body on Mars, the clothing that the person would be wearing would also have to be able to go through that process. And so you know, she made a garment using silk, a protein material, so that it could also be dissolved or processed along with the body itself. So they wouldn't have to take it off or any such thing. Humans have been fascinated by Mars since the dawn of civilization. But how realistic is the prospect of settling the red planet? It's freezing cold. There are no signs of life. There's no running water. It's hostile. Well, depends who you ask. My name's Ian Griffin. I'm the director of the Otago Museum, uh, but I'm also an astronomer. How close are human beings right now to setting foot on Mars? Well, um, we certainly don't yet have the technology in place to be able to get humans to Mars. Hold up, what? So why is Elon Musk telling us this? In the year 2024, SpaceX aims to send the first humans to Mars. 55 years after man first set foot on the moon. Strap yourselves in. We're going to Mars. Not just a few astronauts. Thousands of people are going to colonize Mars. And I am telling you that they're going to do this soon. Well, the simple answer is it's complicated. There's a lot of work going on, um, particularly in the private sector through SpaceX, but also um, NASA are starting to build rockets capable of leaving Earth orbit, which has been a problem for us since uh, the end of the Apollo program in the 1970s. So um, in theory, and uh, there are some pretty ambitious targets out there, SpaceX are saying that they might get to, to Mars by 2024, which I think is very ambitious indeed. It's certainly on the horizon, but there are some, some technical challenges to overcome. I think it's just a matter of time, money, technology. The technology is being developed and it takes time and it takes money to test it. Uh, and so I'm sure that process could be rushed and it could be, you could throw a bunch of money at it and expedite it, uh, but that wouldn't be necessarily safe. So we have to take the time to develop the technology correctly while at the same time working with governments and space agencies to ensure that the people who will be on board will be absolutely safe. Nobody's really demonstrated the ability for taking humans that far away from the Earth. Um, you've got to have life support systems in place that can keep the humans alive for several years at least during the time to get to Mars and the time to come back from Mars. And now, we've demonstrated that in the space station, which has been continuously inhabited since 2000. So we know we can keep humans living inside tin cans for a long time. Uh, so that part of the challenge is, is certainly um, overcome. But uh, we've got to get people to Mars, we've got to get them from orbit around Mars to the surface, and when they're on the surface, we've got to protect them. 
And if they're going to live on Mars, then we need to figure out ways of um, growing things on Mars and getting water from the ground on Mars and basically protecting ourselves from the, the really hostile environment on that planet. Ian, presumably you're familiar with the article this piece kind of took inspiration from about death garments and how the issue of death on Mars or in space might be approached. If we are filling in the blanks to questions like this, we're probably a lot closer to this being a reality than many people would think. Absolutely. There's nothing technically other than investment of time and effort that really is stopping us getting to Mars at the moment. Once you can do something and you've got the desire to do it, then that's when all the kind of what I would call the ethical stuff, worrying about, okay, if someone dies in space, how do you deal with the body? Do you leave them? Do you keep them on the spaceship? Um, What's the burial ritual? And all that kind of material stuff. That comes out of the fact that actually it's quite likely we are going to go to Mars. And, um, and, And from my perspective, you know, there's some other challenges that are equally interesting. For example, because the speed of light is finite, if you are on Mars, the closest distance between Earth and Mars means that it will still take three minutes for a message that you send to reach Earth. So if you send a message saying, help, the spaceship is um, you know, blowing up, mission control won't hear that for three minutes. So you're really on your own. And that's when Mars is at its closest. Um, when Mars is furthest from the Earth, it takes 22 minutes uh, each way. So it's going to be 40 minutes before you get an answer back to try and help you. So, so you really are on your own on this planet. And you're going to have to be able to solve problems and challenges without access to Earth. And, and that really does put you and every other human on that planet in a completely different environment to most other human experiences. I guess the closest thing you can think of is something like Antarctica. It's, it's really hard to understand how hostile this environment is. Because Mars doesn't have a magnetic field, for example, there's a lot more solar radiation that comes to the surface. So you're going to be, unless you're inside a cave protected from the, the, the environment, you're going to have a lot more radiation hitting your body, and that's going to impact on you. Um, there are some studies that saying that going to Mars is going to significantly increase your chances of getting cancer, uh, especially if you're a woman. This is because women have more body parts that are affected by radiation, like breasts, ovaries, a womb. It's a really hostile environment, and living there, um, it's going to take a, a particular sort of, maybe call it a pioneer spirit, to, to be able to make a life and live on a planet like that, where literally you can't go outside and take a deep a breath of fresh air. Never mind the reality, I'm leaping straight onto that spaceship. So I bombarded our two space experts with questions about what would happen when we get there. Questions like, if humans did settle there, who'd be in charge? Um, I'm guessing that the first mission to Mars would probably be some kind of military come NASA type thing where there would be a commander. And I'm imagining that that commander would be in charge. I mean, um, in terms of government, I mean, once you start colonising the place, which is what we're talking about here, um, I think that's something that um, I don't think there's been much work done on. It's certainly not something that I'm familiar with, but you've got to remember I'm an astronomer, not uh, someone who does government uh, science or or politics. But but certainly the first expeditions there will be under the command of um, the mission commander. And I would imagine that that commander will be delegated to have authority to make decisions and and the crew will have to trust the decisions that are made. Would it be possible to grow food on Mars? In my opinion, theoretically, yes. In the actual Martian soil, I don't know. I know that NASA, I don't know about other space agencies, but I know that there are, such as the veggie experiment, there are a number of experiments that are kind of testing this. Um, So they're using kind of 
analog soils to test growing things. And then whether or not they're able to grow in the actual Martian soil itself, um, on the space station, they have this little experiment called veggie where they grow vegetables, totally grown in space. They eat them. They're experimenting with all different types of, of vegetables and foods. And so whether or not they're able to actually plant anything in the ground, they should definitely be able to grow things in contained experiments like veggie. If we do end up settling Mars, how might it be divided up in terms of territorial authority? I guess this is a question that also relates to space, you know, who owns space? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Under the Outer Space Treaty of the United Nations... um, Countries aren't allowed to own planets, and, but, but I guess if you are a country and you have the ability to get to a planet, uh, you can certainly raise your flag there, which is what the Americans did, although they said they came in peace for all mankind, of course, at the time. Now, of course, on Mars, um, territory is a bit of a misnomer because there's no real liquid water, so it's pretty much one landmass. And I would imagine that if there are different countries sending different missions to Mars, you might end up having some kind of government or some kind of division that way. But but to be honest, to get to Mars is going to take contributions from lots of different countries to get there. So I think it's going to be something that's going to be more akin to sort of a planetary government, maybe a, a bit like the stuff you used to read about in Star Trek with the Federation. One of the sort of mega scale ideas that, that's been sort of proposed about how Mars might be utilised um, involves a, a term called terraforming. Can you tell me a little bit about the idea of terraforming and, and how it works? Yes. So terraforming is this conceptual idea that you can kind of manipulate a planet to be different. So you could influence Mars in a way that gave it more of an atmosphere, that returned some of its atmosphere and made it more habitable to humans um, and kind of made Mars more Earth-like. And there are a lot of different researchers that continue to investigate whether or not this is possible and how they would do it. There are countless ways that people have thought about doing this, Um, but there have also unfortunately been a lot of studies that show that while terraforming kind of small regions might be possible, terraforming a whole planet, (laughs) even if it's possible, which it may may or may not be, I don't know, um, even if it's possible, might not be the most efficient way to go about living on Mars. This brings up huge ethical questions now, right? Because even imagine if we did develop technology to the point where terraforming Mars or, or, or colonizing Mars with large numbers of people was feasible. Is that really the right thing to do? That's a great question. Um, I think that's why people are even shying away from the term colonization in, in favor of other terms such as settlement. Um, because colonizing Mars even using that term, it reminds us of what we've done on Earth and kind of how we've messed up in taking land from other people or just taking over space in general and and looking back and realizing how badly we've messed up. Um, And so I think people are starting to slow down and take a look at, well, what should we be doing? Should we be taking over this other planet? Should we be, you know, sending tons of people there to live forever or just for exploratory missions? Um, And so I don't really have an answer on that. I think it's something that we have to just continue to consider and really be careful to kind of look back at our own history and where we've messed up and make sure that we don't make the same mistakes on another planet. Are there useful things on Mars? Like, would we stand to gain anything beyond just expanding the area in which humans can live in? 
Well, I think um, there are mineral resources, of course, uh, that we can possibly use to support industries, either on Mars or, or on Earth. Um, I suppose, you know, ultimately, the future of the human race depends on us becoming an interplanetary species because, let's face it, um, the Earth has a finite future. Uh, so, you know, whatever happens in about five billion years, the sun's going to swell up and swallow the Earth. So by that time, we've either got to figure out how to get away from our planet or um, we're, we're kind of doomed. So um, there are also other things that can happen to the Earth. You know, we know a big asteroid destroyed the dinosaurs about 65 million years ago. Um, so actually being able to have life off-world that potentially could survive a disaster like that is good for our species. So in that sense, it's a good thing to be able to do this. But with all of the caveats I've said, you know, that wouldn't be something I would choose to do as a human being, to spend the rest of my life on a place like Mars, because even though it's fascinating to visit, it's um, a cold, airless world that um, would be quite a lonely place to be, I think. So much of human technological development, Chelsea, begins either begins its life or ends up being appropriated for the purpose of warfare. And I think the American President Donald Trump, in fact, just a few months ago, officially launched the American Space Force program. That's uh-huh. not. <laughs> I mean, this, this could really, this could turn into a right old Pandora's box if we're not careful, couldn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's very two-sided. Um, so aside, you know, my my personal feelings on the disastrous political situation um this is just just focusing in on space force i think that there is definitely a danger for having it become weaponized and having space become militarized and and having it become kind of this violent playground and then on the other hand that does seem to be some kind of need for at least an increased regulation and just monitoring to make sure what's going on in space isn't nefarious, isn't, you know, no one's no one's doing anything wrong, which is much different from decades past. Today, we have thousands of satellites in orbit around Earth, um, communication satellites, spy satellites, satellites collecting data, monitoring, taking images. Um, and so those satellites are extremely valuable and transmit and collect extremely sensitive and extremely valuable data. And so while it's extremely important that we make sure that we are not weaponizing space and and militarizing space, that careful consideration is taken to keep monitoring and keep making sure that space remains a peaceful place where science and exploration is at the forefront. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And there is a big ethical question here, right, in the sense that, like, I mean, it's probably a bit oversimplified to say that humans destroyed Earth or are destroying Earth, you know, Um, but the ethics of literally colonising another planet are uh, complicated. Absolutely, and we all know colonisation has had an impact to this day in this country, and um, we're still dealing with the impact of that. Now, of course, Mars, as as far as we know, doesn't have hyper-advanced civilizations. uh, Possibly the most advanced thing there is a microbe. But, you know, there is an ethical question about should we be doing this as a species? And um, personally, I think it's worth doing simply for overcoming the technical challenges. We're going to learn a hell of a lot about being able to do it. Going to Mars, exploring it, understanding if there is life there, how it evolved is going to tell us more about where we come from and whether life is common elsewhere in the universe. So they're really fundamental questions. Uh, and to my mind, that's the reason for going to Mars. The reason is to to explore it, to understand it, and not necessarily to live there. Um, I think probably the ultimate goal is, you know, one of the great philosophical questions of humanity is, is there life out there 
other than us. And uh, while Mars may have very simple life, it might help us understand the chances of there being more advanced life elsewhere in the, in the solar system or even um, on planets around other stars. So, so that, as an astronomer, that's what drives my passions. But uh, I'm sure there are equally interesting questions for um, the governance of planets um, once they've been colonised. And that's something I'll leave to the, uh, the experts um, in politics. Do you think that humans will set foot on Mars in your lifetime? I definitely do. Um, I don't think I'll be super young and spry when it happens. <laughs> but I absolutely think that within my lifetime, I think within the next 50, 100 years, I think it's certainly feasible. Space Force. That's the detail for today. I'm Neil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave us a rating as it helps other listeners find us. Space, space, is a war fighting domain, just like the land, the air, and sea. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Chelsea Goad and Ian Griffin. Matewa. Uh-uh.